You're listening to Rethinking Hunger, a podcast coordinating the food security fight through critical conversations. Our goal is to highlight the incredible people fighting to change our food system here in New Mexico and in the greater United States. I want you to get the full spectrum of folks that are in this fight. That means people coming to the table with different approaches and varying stakes. Among others, you'll be hearing from food nonprofit leaders, consumers, growers, providers, and policymakers. I'm your host, Sophia Rose. In this week's episode, I'm here with Sal Ruiz Esquizel and Laura Cox. Sal and Laura are joining me from Moving Arts Española, an after-school program based in Española, a city in northern New Mexico. Their mission is to build community and cultivate leaders through the arts and culture. Sal is co-founder and current executive director of Moving Arts and is heavily involved not only as a director but as a dance and visual arts teacher. Sal has been dancing Mexican folklorico since elementary school. Laura is the in-house chef for Moving Arts and steers the Healthy Meals program as well as teaching a culinary arts class that has now moved online. After-school and extended learning spaces offer a unique opportunity for communities to come together and address food insecurity. So without further ado, let's hear from Sal and Laura. I'm super excited to have you both on. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, you're welcome. It's, it's, it's an honor. It's a pleasure being here with you. Thank you for having us, Sophia. Yes. Sal, I would love to start if you could... Um, describe the origin story of Moving Arts Española and provide some context for us. How did the this beautiful program get started? Well, Moving Arts Española came out out of an arts program that we were running in the Española Public Schools during the day as an arts integration uh, program that we had. And the interest from the children, it was just incredible. Uh, pretty much all the classes that we offered at the program were given during the day, hiring uh, hundreds of artists throughout the valley to teach in all the, I believe there 11, 12 schools. And from there, because there was nothing in the afternoon uh, for the kids, either they will have to drive to Santa Fe, drive to Los Alamos, and for many of those kids, it was impossible economic-wise. So uh, it's how Moving Arts got started. We approached a superintendent at the time, and uh, he offered us a small little building. We started with a couple of little classes, and within six months, we have over 200 students in the program. And eventually they moved us to another school because we grew up so fast and we didn't fit in the small bilingual room. And we were in an old school for six years, which uh, since then uh, it's been demolished. It was condemned. And uh, from there we moved to the beautiful building that we have now at the Okewinge Pueblo. We've been here since 2013, and uh, when we moved to this beautiful facility that we have now, the program just exploded, and uh, and we just kept adding classes. Uh, 
because you know the kids and the parents do you teach this do you teach singing do you teach cooking do you teach guitar and and uh, so slowly is how we were just incrementing the the classes that we offer here at the program and uh and slowly that we knew you know we came this to become this huge program that we see now when we are in person uh between three and 350 children a week no counting during the day because we we still work with a few schools during the morning with the arts integration program with the Latira Montessori School of the Arts and Science and the Okewinga Day School. We work with them where they bus the children to the program in the morning. Since we're basically still an after school program. And, uh, and that's how moving arts came to be what is now. Great. Yeah, so for this episode, we want to focus on the meals component and later get to the cooking class you have. But first, um, can you tell me why it became important for you to include a meal for the youth that are participating in your program? The need came, uh, our, our program starts at four o'clock, which uh, school ends at around 3.30. And uh, so for many of the children, they don't have an opportunity to go home and have a snack before they come to the program. So parents will pick them up, bus the, bring them over to the program and uh, because the classes will start at four o'clock. And something that we noticed, uh, it was that the children, obviously, after a full day of academics, they were tired. Their attention span wasn't 100% there in the classroom. So slowly we started with uh, little snacks that parents started donating. Uh, we were asking for donations and they were donating apples, oranges. We approached one of the local markets and we were getting crackers and cheese, uh, cheese sticks. And uh, so that changed immediately the, uh, the disposition of the children. You know, you started seeing a little bit more natural smiles and uh, eyes more open and uh and then we started bringing our own roster you know we started cooking ourselves and uh so that's what we saw is like we need to feed these children you know they don't have the opportunity to go home and it's how we felt that it was important to to start having a, a meal program here at moving arts the meals you serve are reimbursed by the USDA through the Child and Adult Care Food Pro Program, or CACFP. So the CACFP provides reimbursements to eligible children and youth that are participating in after-school programs. How did you find the community partner that you work with to get going with the CACFP? The, the beauty of this is that they find us. <laughs> <laughs> The, the, you know, the worker around that we were feeding the children. And uh, so we got one of the representatives from Help New Mexico and they came and visited the program. And she noticed what we were doing, how we were feeding the children. And, uh, and she said, you know, we told her what we were doing because we were cooking on our cook, on our crock pot, legumes, you know, kale, lettuce, uh, garbanzo, potatoes, beans, uh, corn, 
And one of the things that she was noticing that we were missing, it was uh, the milk. So she approached us and said, you know, if you add the meal, there's a possibility that we can help you. We had a, uh, we invited her to a board meeting and it's how we started the communication of what we needed to do to be able to, uh, to fill an application and be part of this program, which has been incredible, the, uh, the, the help that we get from them. Maybe you can both chime in on this one. Is there any advice you would give related to the CACFP and serving meals to our listeners who might be running their own program and wanting to serve meals? One of the advice that I will give to them is obviously, you know, to connect with organizations and they're more than welcome to give us a call or uh, visit our website, send out an email. Uh, on how did we start it, uh, it will be to give them a call, invite them over to the program for them to see what is what they're interested of doing, what they will be providing, because as if I understand correctly, there's a few different ways to be to participate in the program. You know, the most important thing is that there's guidelines for the nutrients and percentage that a child needs to have because there's paperwork, uh, there's uh, license numbers or federal ID numbers that they require. You need to be a, a registered organization, uh, you know, with a nonprofit. We have our federal ID number, we have our CIRS number. And uh, so it's some of the information that they require to be able to uh, to field up that application. And, uh, and there's, I believe, also like a co-sponsor. Uh, I think that they can, they can help. So there's different ways. And the best way to do it would be to, uh, to contact helpnewmexico.com, go to their website and try to get some answers, some questions. And, uh, and they will be more than happy to send a representative and uh, find out who they are exactly, find the facility, because it's something else that we had here. They came, they visit our place, and uh, when we started getting them, you know, we changed our kitchen to be a service kitchen. We don't cook here. We have stainless steel tables. We have the appropriate dishwashing sink, the appropriate hand washing sink, and a refrigerator, a freezer. So it, it, it takes a little bit of uh, requirements to be able to, uh, to fall into the, uh, the right guidelines for you to be able to serve. And if you have a facility that is available to even be able to cook it in place, but it all depends again, what is where you will be serving, you know, and I'm, I'm sure there's different uh, menus and venues because yeah, they're, for what I understand, they're, they help with breakfast, with lunches, with suppers, with snacks. So it all depends the the hours of your program and, uh, and you know, they will be, and they're very helpful on guiding you and, and, uh, and assisting you. I'm having the right, uh, following the right guidelines so, uh, so you don't get in trouble. Great. Thank you for offering up those resources and for also offering yourself up as a resource. That's fantastic. Um, I would love to get more into your wonderful meals program. So Laura, you've been running the Healthy Meals program at Moving Arts for four years now. 
How did you get started with the program and what was it like in the beginning? Um, wow. It, um, four years ago, it, it's gone so quickly. Uh, I started, actually, I was, I was doing a program called Cooking with Kids. Um, and you're probably familiar with that. And we were teaching kids in the schools, going into the schools and teaching them how to cook. Pretty simple things, but, but giving them a very um, good hands-on experience. And, um, and often sharing culture, you know, foods from different cultures. So we do a little history of the, you know, if we were making refried beans from, you know, Mexico, then we'd have maps of Mexico and, and uh, talk about where the food comes from and, and some of the um, uh, cultural traditions and whatnot. Anyway, we, um, we were doing this uh, Cooking with Kids program. Roger had asked the Cooking with Kids uh, organizers to um, attend and and do a little like workshop at a, at a health fair that he was organizing in Española. And so I went to that. And I think we had 200, maybe 300 kids go through the tents working with all of us. It was, it was really pretty spectacular. And um, after the health fair, I didn't think much of it. That was just something that I was doing kind of on the side. I'd been a teacher for almost 30 years in Houston and uh, kind of wanted to retire. So, so I wasn't really looking for anything, but he called me and asked me to come over and to Moving Arts and told me that he wanted to feed the children. And he explained exactly what Sal said. We, you know, these kids are really hungry when they, they come to the after-school program. And, and he thought it might be, might be really in their best interest and in the best interest of Moving Arts to be, provide a, an um, after-school meal, an actual meal. And I thought, well, okay. And how many would I be expected to do? And he said about 30 a day. And I thought, well, I can, I can do that. And um, so we started, it was, you know, it was just kind of off the cuff. It was very, uh, <laughs> you know, the shopping, I was doing all the procuring. I still do that actually, but um, just planning these very, very simple meals. Um, and, uh, and then the program just grew from there. And as it grew, I realized we were gonna need to get into a, a, a commercial kitchen. I uh, was cooking too many meals to just be able to um, throw beans in a crock pot and and such. So so um, we we that was one of the advantages and and, um, and steps up. We found a commercial kitchen very close by on the campus of Northern New Mexico College, right there in Española, and absolutely a fantastic kitchen. And so I began cooking from there and then catering over in the afternoons and serving. And that's basically how it got started. You mentioned Roger and for listeners who are not familiar, I was wondering, oh. Sal, do you wanna explain Chris? <laughs> Roger is the co-founder and artistic director of the program. He is also the one that founded the arts in the schools, in the Española public schools. And uh, so it's, he's, he's been doing a lot of service in the community for the last 30 years. And uh, he's, the what, he's the main responsible. I give him full guilt of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, which with that, it's, 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 it's not 
hard to say no when when it comes to to one our programs and uh, like Miss Laura just said, it's not easy to say no when it comes to feeding children too. Thank you for that. So, Laura, you have an emphasis on serving healthy food. What does healthy food mean to you? Yeah, yeah, healthy food, um, so important. Um, well, you know, healthy food for me means replacing all that processed food with what I call whole food or real food. So, um, and the fresher, the better. And I have um, a great advantage in that I, I'm able to um, market, get the food from, uh, or procure the food from the local farmers. I go to the farmer's market every Monday there in Española and when it's in, when it's in season. And it has a pretty long season, so that's great. And I, um, and I get fresh food. So to me, healthy food really just means, it, it, it means fresh food and, and, and food that nourishes, nourishes the, you know, the children and not only their bodies, but their minds as well. Because, you know, I mean, I, I see the statistic that one, one out of every four Americans eats fast food every day. And I, I try to stress to the kids, and I know it's a fast food society, but I try to stress how important it is to just cut cut out the fast food just for a little bit. It, 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 you know, the high salt, the high sugar, it's it's not it's not nutritious. And so we talk about nutrition a lot in our in um in the kitchen there and at Moving Arts. So to me, that's that's what healthy food is. It's just coming, you know, food that comes from that's that's relatable to the children that they may even know where it comes from they may even know who grew it um, they may have even grown it themselves so that's that's what i think healthy food is i think there's also this misconception that healthy food is not necessarily delicious yummy food so would you agree with that and what do you think makes good food good especially in terms of thinking about serving kids so, so you're asking the that healthy food, it doesn't taste good. Is that what, <laughs> like, so? Like I feel like a lot of people think that um, whether it's parents or children, they think that you know they equate healthy food with food that doesn't taste as good. Right, right. I mean, um, you know, healthy food. Well, it's interesting because we, we do use we do have a vegetarian uh, menu. It's strictly vegetarian, and and vegetables. They're, they're a tough sell. There's no doubt about it. With kids, vegetables are a very tough sell. And, and what I've come to find out is I believe it's like 20%. We lose 20% um, uh, of our taste uh, um, by the time we're, you know, 10 years old. It's, it's, it's incredible, it, the bitter taste. So, so kids, when they say they don't like vegetables, they, they really don't like vegetables. I mean, vegetables taste bitter to them. As, they get, as we get older, we don't taste the, that bitterness as much. And also with repeated tries, you know, it's, it's supposed to be like 10 to 12 times, you know, keep, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, you might win them over. Well, that actually works. So, um, so the kids are always surprised when, 
you know, they'll have, they may actually try some of this food a few times because we do sneak a lot of vegetables into things. Um, but they'll, they'll be surprised after a while that, that, oh, that actually isn't that bad. You know, I really, wow, that, that actually tastes pretty good. Or I've never had beets prepared like that, or I've never had broccoli prepared like that. It's, it's a lot of it is in the way it's prepared as well. So, um, and that's part of the challenge of the, the program. We, we try to, um, you know, make things look good and taste good. And uh, it, it takes a little bit of experimentation, but, but um, it seems to be working because I'm, I'm pretty impressed at, at, at what these kids will eat. And uh, I figure they're pretty hungry sometimes, but um, you know, they can turn their noses up at, at certain things, but as soon as they try it or they see their friends try it, you know, peer pressure goes a long way too, so. <laughs> And the ones that get more surprised are the parents because they're, when the parents are here waiting for the kids in the mm -hmm. classes, you know, we welcome them to have a taste of the meals that we have. They're pretty much in shock that they never seen their kids eating so many vegetables. And especially mm -hmm. when they go once or twice, it's like, oh my God. And all of a sudden they start asking Miss Laura for the recipe. <laughs> Right. So, so they can try it at home to see if they can make it, have their kids eat their vegetables at home. <laughs> Maybe we can go back a little bit to your meal planning. I know a lot goes into that. What do you consider when you're planning these healthful, nutritious meals for the community? Because I know that you went from what, serving 30 meals in the beginning to how many meals now? One hundred. <laughs> One hundred meals a day. <laughs> Sometimes more. <laughs> so, um, you know, we what's great about uh, I what's great about CA uh, CFP is we have we we do have a guideline we have to follow. So we have very specifically have to supply each meal has to provide so much protein, so much whole grain, you know, fruit, a veg, and and um, and your milk, of course. And so that gives me the basic guideline, correct? But, but as far as the menu goes, then um, it, it varies during the year because of the farmer's market. So um, during the farmer's market months, um, I don't plan the meal until I go to the farmer's market. And then I, I know what I have for the week. I know what I, I know what's in front of me. I might have I might have 60 pounds of zucchini. So I have to think about, okay, well, how am I gonna serve this? And what is this gonna be part of? And, and, or I might get 50, you know, 60 pounds of tomatoes. Um, I, I plan according to what I find that's fresh. I, I actually really do my meals that way. And um, when, when we don't have the farmer's market, then, then it's a little bit, the planning's a little bit easier because I'm, I'm shopping at the, at the local stores. We have a couple, couple places in Española that I go and sometimes I will go into Santa Fe if I need something exotic. Um, but, but the meals are planned uh, and they're planned with the kids in mind. When I started out, I, I really was doing enchiladas and pozole, vegetarian pozole, and enchiladas and tacos, lots of tacos, lots of lots of um, uh, tostadas. They love tostadas. Um, I was trying to give them what uh, something that was familiar, and um, and that 
those things are still very heavily, very heavily figure into the menus, but, but we began to expand when I, when it was, for me, it was fun. I mean, I realized, wow, there's, there's this whole grain. I have to figure out how to, you know, fit a whole grain in there. Oh, there's this wonderful quinoa and, you know, quinoa, um, came from our quinoa anyway, came from Colorado. Now they grow it here. Um, there are all these wonderful, wonderful grains. Um, I use a vegetarian website that I, uh, for, uh, as inspiration for my, for my recipes, I, I'm, as my husband will tell you, I never follow a recipe, uh, to the T I always change things, but, um, but I do have, I do use a couple different websites for inspiration and some cookbooks. And um, anyway, that's, that's, that's sort of how we, how the food um, changed from being kind of, you know, pretty, pretty firmly beans and rice and tacos and things like that uh, to something a little more experimental. And sometimes I really challenge them and I'm, I'm doing that for the kids too, because I think it's, I think it's important that they try all different kinds of things. And, um, and they also request, and and when they request something, I, I do my best to to make it if it's if it's appropriate, and um, uh, so yeah, that's kind of uh, did that answer your question? Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, and I think that I'll also follow up with you after this. Just um, if you want to think of like, give me those sources of inspiration that you go yeah. to, because then we can drop those in the in the show notes for folks to utilize if they want Excellent. to. Excellent. Um, yeah, I, I'm thinking maybe we can bring the conversation more to the present now and think about um, what the transition has been like to the virtual environment since COVID. Right. I know right. it's been a tough time for students and educators. And Laura, you've been doing, um, you've been teaching kids to cook online, right? Right, right. I have. What have your, what's your experience been with that? And maybe you could share some of the takeaways with us. From, so the transition to, to the virtual environment, um, since COVID, wow, it, it, it's like you said, it's been a tough time um, for, for a lot of uh, kids and, and for, for teachers as well. But, you know, I'm, I'm finding uh, I really miss the kids. I miss I miss the hands-on. Cooking is a very creative experience, and and it's it's a very hands-on experience. And um, I take uh, when when I'm with the with the kids, I there's a lot that I sort of take for granted because they're watching me and they're there, and we're and we're able to sort of correct or they'll self-correct as as we're going along. Because I was teaching. Uh, the course. I'm, I never had more than eight kids in the course, and now on my in the online course, I have sixteen. <laughs> and um, but I'm not working with them, you know, uh, one, you know, one on one necessarily. I what I've done is um, now I, I I make a video on the weekend and upload it to um, our website, the Moving Arts website. We have something called a Moodle page, and. Um, the students go in, view the video, and they read the instructions, uh, and and they make it themselves. And that's and they make it. In many cases, I have some littles this time. I mean, seven is kind of young to cook alone, so I I ask that the parent help. Um, but this is this is how we're doing it now. And then we meet on Thursdays. We'll meet once a week online um, on a Zoom, all sixteen kids and me. Um, 
and we talk about we share our experiences about what 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 we cooked, what went wrong, what you know what we would do differently next time. You know, same same sort of evaluation uh, that I would have had in person, and and I let them share, and it's a little bit of a social time too. We always have have a lot of laughs, but. Um, but the it, the online stuff is a little bit more difficult because there uh, you have to have many more details about things and um, and there are a lot of questions. It's actually very intimate. I, I let me say you know I've come to know the families um, because of course we're on Zoom. I know their siblings who pop into the picture. We know their favorite animals. We, we know, you know, it's, it's, it's actually, it's actually a lot of fun, but, but there's nothing like being in person and, and sharing that experience, like, you know, side by side in the kitchen with them. So I do look forward to going back to in person, but right now I can't say that this isn't working. I think, I think the one advantage um, to the online is I could double my class because in person, I can't have more than eight kids in the room. I, we simply don't have the space and I don't think I could manage that many at one time. Um, but uh, so I feel like that's a huge advantage uh, and, and maybe one of the only advantages, but, um, but uh, it, it's not it's not that difficult. It's really not that difficult. But but I do I I do look forward to working in person with these kids again. Gladys, being online, you don't get the beautiful smells of what. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> and and I might add, Sophia, one of the cool things about the cooking class uh, when we were in person is the kids would um, often, you know, we have eight of them cooking. So this is, this is, we could make mass amounts of certain things and the kids would share it with, with whoever was in the dining room at the time. Cause moving arts has a lovely little dining room where everybody sits and eats the meals and um, they would walk out there and they'd serve and they, they, they felt like they were running a little restaurant. So it was, it, it was, it was actually a lot of fun doing it that way. That was, that was a always a, that was always a bonus. They could cook for their friends and their family. Right. The sharing of food too is so important. So important. Sal, did you have anything you wanted to add? No, it's just uh, that that last thing that Miss Lotta made you, because uh, you could see the kids coming to the kitchen area with a huge smile so proud of what they have just accomplished. Mm -hmm. And uh, and the beauty on it, uh, what I will witness is that with the kids that were there and what they come out with the stuff, you know, because they will be either working in pairs or working in little groups. There was never, oh, mine looks better than yours or anything. They just, they just will share with each other. Well, let me see how yours taste. And let me see what you did. And, and, and that's what, enhance the class when they start discussing and talking and oh next time I'm gonna try this you know but 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 the fact that they will come out and uh, uh, uh one time we we had them wear you know they need to wear a hairnet so we got them some chef hats that they decorated themselves so to come out with a tray with their apron you know into the lobby like Miss Laura said you know they felt they were running a little restaurant that was just beautiful to see on the kids but the most important of all their big smile when they were offering uh 
a little taste of what they were cooking in there, what they were able to accomplish during that one hour class. Especially me that I will get, I will get to taste, I will get into the kitchen and I will tell them, I said, you know, that's one of the advantages of running the program. I will go in and tell them, I said, okay, remember, you need to spoil your direct. <laughs> Another thing that I really love about your program is this wide age range you have. So, which I feel like relates to the aspect of community you're speaking about. Um, so you could talk about this maybe in the present or in the past, but how do you approach, how do you factor in the issue of accessibility when you have such a wide age range you're gearing towards? We, it, it's another thing that it's how the program started growing. When, when with the program started, we didn't have, we started with kids age six and up. Uh, we had a gymnastic class, uh, for example, and there were siblings, toddlers running around and getting across the kids and running across the mat. And uh, so we said, okay, we need to start a tumbling class for toddlers. That way the kid, you know, gets to run for an hour and mom and dad is time to hold your kid because your older kid needs to join the class and it's how we started adding classes instead of limiting ourselves to just one age group uh it was a big necessity of looking other activities that we could do other classes that we could do we started a creative ballet class that it was for kids toddlers three to five uh, visual art class, you know, we were doing, we were working with kids 10 and up because they're more manageable and sometimes they were some intricate works of the, or intricate projects that they were doing. But then it was, well, the little ones wants to do it, you know, because where there's kids, they're always going to be younger siblings or older siblings. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we just started adding different classes to the point that the parents started asking, do you have adult classes? And it's like, well, if you don't mind taking a class with a child, you're more than welcome. So for clerical classes have adults, flamenco classes have adults, guitar classes, adults started joining the classes. Even the visual arts, you know, once you start seeing the keys with the brush or with the markers and the big papers, the parents couldn't resist themselves, but to, try to help them. So instead of, uh, we will tell them, don't help your kid. He's a piece of paper, he, you have a brush, do your own, you know, let your kid do have his own imagination. And it's how we started mixing and, and plus uh, when they come into the program, they come with siblings, with cousins that are visiting or something and, and they're curious. So in the meal program started holding the parents into the lobby. So is how the parents started paying attention more to many of those classes, like I was saying, that they started more interested. So it's just to see uh, is what got us into adding classes. And it's like, okay, we cannot be just one age group. We need to cater more because the, the numbers kept coming and the different ages. And the only way that we separate uh, many of the classes is, by the talent, by how advanced the kids are. 
which is something beautiful that we have in the program. We don't hold a child or a youth in a class that is from seven to nine years old per se. And it's like, well, you need to be here because you're eight. No, if the kid is doing 10 year old activities or reading or doing, you know, we don't want to lose that kid. We don't want to uh, diminish their knowledge and we promote the kids to the next class. And so sometimes it's beautiful to see a class that has younger and middle-aged kids, you know, and again, the beauty of is that they get along, you know, for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> That's so wonderful. I love that approach. That's how it should be, I feel like. Um, since COVID, you've also been doing meal distribution in the community. Can you share what your method of distribution has been and what has worked well for you or been challenging in the effort? Uh, well, we started right after COVID, we kept cooking and giving hot meals, but it got to a point when uh, last fall hit, uh, you know, the kids were 100% online, there was less outside activities, and, uh, and the hot meal program wasn't working. So what we decided to do, we started getting donations of dry goods and sometimes produce, and what we started doing and what we've been doing even starting this year, twice a month, we have a food drive on Saturdays. And uh, parents filled up uh, an, an application on, online, you know, and they're just simple questions for statistics that we need. We don't ask private information. It's just to see who's picking up the food and uh, you know, what is the economic impact that it's having. And uh, so we've been getting donations and it, it has grown a little bit. We started just with dry goods and then we started purchasing a little bit of produce to complement the meals. And, uh, and it's what we've been doing every other week. And to enhance a little bit more the, pro the, the, the food drive, we asked Miss Laura to create some simple recipes Miss Laura, we're getting beans, rice, garbanzos, and we're gonna complement it with this produce. So she came out with some recipes that we include in the bags that we give away. So the parents can, can try to do something, you know, if there were parents, and the beauty of it is that the, the, the growing of people that we help here in the community, it grew because there were parents that, they didn't know about the program. They didn't know who we were. So that was another way of introducing ourselves to them. This is who we are. We give the recipe. Sometimes we put a little brochure about the program. So they know who we are and what we're doing. That is not just somebody that is helping the community, just giving them food. You know, so they understand why are we doing what we're doing. And it, it, it's work. It's, it's a little bit hard, something that we have found out because not everybody has access to the internet. So what, uh, what had happened, families come and say, well, they told me that you were giving staples, you know, we are in need. So we have Chromebooks here at the program where they filled up an application. Again, it's a very simple, it's like a 10 questions, I think is what it is because we wanna know 
you know, uh, their name, their, uh, what is their average income, you know, and they don't have to be exact. And how many kids do they have? And what are the age of the kids that they have in the family? Because sometimes with another organization that we partner, they give us uh, food bags for children that have snacks for the kids. Snacks for the kids in the sense that if the parents are at work and is grandma that is taking care of the kids, this little baggie that it lasts, it depends on how much the kid eat. <laughs> uh, it, will, it will have simple stuff like a little can of corn, a little can of veggies, crackers, cereal, uh, powdered milk, uh, compressed packed cheese you know again is something else that does food bags that is the h4o from the uh uh the sea community here in espanola that we partner that provide those package also those have those little baggies have to have different nutrients that will help the kid and uh so the challenge is basically to reach out to a lot of people because especially because there's all their food distribution areas on a different days and we don't want to compete. There's some food drives that you cannot go from food drive to food drive and uh, as much as the family needed. And, uh, and it's, it's been working pretty good. The parents, the families that come, they're being very responsive and very thankful that is that extra help that we're giving them especially when they find the little recipe, oh, to try one of Miss Laura's simple meals for them to try it in there. Going back a little bit, I would love to talk about cooking with kids again. Why do you think it's important to introduce children to cooking at a young age? Um, it, I think it's very important to teach kids how to cook at a young age. I, I know that statistically, you know, children or young adults who learn to cook um, by the age of 18 are more likely uh, to continue cooking, um, eat healthier, choose healthier, make healthier eating choices, and and will share meals at a table. I mean, this is just a statistic that that if they get in that practice at a young age, they will continue to carry on the rest of their lives. And I think that's really important because our, you know, eating together is, is something I think American families have lost that have lost. I don't believe, I, my understanding is that people don't sit down to meals like they used to. And sitting down to the meal is your, it's your communal time. It's your time to be together. So um, if, if learning to cook leads to that, you know, more power to you. I, I also think learning to cook, uh, starting them at a young age, well, it not only helps them with all their math skills, which all of us need help with, but it helps them understand, you know, different world cultures, different foods from these different cultures and, and trying different flavors. Um, it, it, and learning to make something and just, I know this from my own experience, just watching the, the pleasure uh, on someone's face, you know, or the joy, um, th how they're enjoying what you're cooking. It's, it's, it's very empowering to, to, to young kids. It's empowering to adults. It, it, it makes you feel, um, it, it's really good for your self-esteem, but it just, it makes you happy. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing better than making a kid smile by, you know, giving them something that makes them happy. 
and and uh, learning, having them be the ones to be able to to present the food that they've cooked, you know, to their family. It's a very empowering thing, um, and so I I just I think it's there's there there are no bad sides to it. So it's and it's an easy thing to do. It's it's something we all need to learn how to do. And uh, it, you end up having a healthier diet later on in your life as well. And that's, that's a big part of it. So now I want to ask you both what I've been asking everyone who comes on the podcast, which is, how do you think we should be rethinking hunger? Yeah. How should we rethink hunger? Well, hunger is, uh, there's no one person that doesn't get hungry there's no one person that doesn't eat food everybody needs it it's it's an international language uh it's an international need it's an international uh uh necessity yeah you know we we grew up in that time of uh, this is a long before you were probably even born, Sophia, but we grew up in the time of, you know, eat everything on your plate. There are starving children in Africa. We, I never imagined that there were starving children in my own country and, and there always have been. Um, but, you know, hunger isn't, isn't just suffering from, from lack of food. I mean, and, and keeping your bellies full isn't really all there is to hunger. I think there's so much more. It's, 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 you know, to conquer hunger, we need to provide more than, more than uh, sustenance and, and, and nourishment through food. I think we need to, you know, be, provide security and, and for, for children and, mm -hmm. and support. And um, yeah, that's, and, and I think one of the things that we, do well at moving arts is we we teach our art all of us do I you know be it the me as a cook or 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 a Sal as a dancer we teach our arts with love and I think I think that that's one of the one of the big things of of you know um that we need to take care of in this in this country I'm thinking about hunger here and rethinking hunger I think we're all hungry for a little bit of love too so that to me is an important aspect of of of, of rethinking hunger parents used to drop off the kids at the curve to come into the class and come and pick them up when the meal program got more formalized parents started staying in the program and enjoying the meal and just waiting for the child. If, if, if they were in a hurry before, they made time to spend time in the program. And the beauty of it is that they started making friends with other parents. They started to get to know the other parents that, that they were coming to the program and bringing their kids to. Because often the kids knew each other, oh, you're in the same school or they're in the same catechism or they go to the same church. And, uh, and often the parents didn't know each other. And it's how they started finding out that they were neighbors. And if they used to see somebody passing by on, on the street, now they know who the person was. And uh, so that's something else that food does. It creates a community. Mm -hmm. 
it creates a, a, a place to, to, to gather and to get to know each other and most important thing, understand each other. Like it's not only the different of ages that we have here. Rio Riva is a multicultural area. So when you see, you know, different cultures at a table talking to each other is something else that he adds beauty to the program where the kids, you know, the kids are here for one reason, to have fun, to learn a dance, to learn to cook, to learn how to sing. And, uh, and little do they know that when, when their parents start talking to each other and gathering at the table, and literally we can say it at the dining table because it's what they're doing here, is when they get to know about, about each other's culture and about each other's family itself. So that's another beautiful thing that the program has in here that is just incredible to be able to have in here. And uh, where Miss Laura's kitchen is, is open, so she gets to see the families and she also gets to, to meet everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not, just, it's not just in the kitchen back there cooking and preparing the meal for the kids. No, she's mingling with, the, with all the children. She's mingling with the parents, having conversations with the parents. So it's it, it's more than just an absolute good program what we have here. Yeah. From the New Mexico Out of School Time Network, this has been Rethinking Hunger. You can keep up with Sal and Laura and the Moving Arts program on their website at movingartsespanola.org. You can also find more resources on the CACFP on the Fighting Hunger Through OST page on our website at nmost.org. That's N-M-O-S-T dot org. The music for this podcast was made by Adam DeGraff. You can follow him on his website at adamviolin.com. Thanks for listening.